0: Hello, and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Call, and I am among the walking wounded this week. Remember to check out the website, howgooditis.com, and the Twitter and the Instagram, and of course, the Facebook page, which you can find over at facebook.com slash Pod. Let me mention up front that some of the songs suggested for this show came to me from a listener named Kim, who had a couple of nice things to say, and because I am uh, emotionally needy that way, I was only too happy to read Kim's note. So thanks, Kim! Now, since today's show is about songs you might not have realized were covers, I'm going to use one of Kim's suggestions in today's trivia question. You see, Kim noted that Linda Ronstadt's hit Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me was originally recorded by its author, Warren Zevon. But that got me to thinking about how many of Ronstadt's singles were covers and how many weren't, and I started doing the research, and as near as I can figure, only one of her charting singles was not recorded by another artist before she got her hands on it. I could be wrong on this, but I think I'm not, so I'm going to frame it pretty definitively what is Linda Ronstadt's only single not to be a cover? I will have that answer for ye near the end of the show. We'll always love you. We'll always love you. I Will Always Love You was a monster hit for Whitney Houston in 1992. It spent 14 weeks at the top of the Billboard Hot 100 chart. It sold over 20 million copies, and it was in the list of the top 10 singles of all time. Still is. I should not say it was. It is. And it is the best-selling sing- single for a female artist ever. Not only did it do that well in 1992, it re-entered the charts in 2012 after Whitney's death making it only the second single to reach the top three on the Billboard chart in separate chart runs. And when most people try to sing this song in the karaoke bars, well, they're emulating Whitney, and good luck to them on that one. And I will grant you, there is a contingent of people who say, big deal, I already know Dolly Parton sang this song over in that Best Little Whorehouse in Texas movie. I know it's a cover. Of course, there are some smarty-pants people out there who will say stuff like that. Stay, well, I would only be in your way. But what these people with the smart pants may not know so is that Dolly Parton's 1982 recording for that film isn't the original recording. If I should stay, you see, Dolly Parton originally wrote and recorded the song back in 1973 as a parting gift to her professional partner and mentor, Porter Wagoner. It was a means of giving herself a send-off from his TV show after seven years of their working together. She performed the song during her last appearance on his show, and then later on it became the second single from her 1974 album, Jolene. Incidentally, the uh, song I Will Always Love You was written on the same day that Dolly wrote the song, Jolene. How about that Dolly cranking out two major hits in a single day? <laughs> Now, this uh, 1978 rendition of My Way by Sid Vicious, not the Sex Pistols, incidentally, Sid Vicious, it didn't get a lot of attention until it was used in the closing credits of the film Goodfellas. Now, clearly it was sped up and some of the words, okay, a lot of the words were changed, but it's the same basic song, and people who listen to it now are kind of split about who did it first and who did it better. Was it Elvis Presley or was it Frank Sinatra? That's a good question. Well, I said a few episodes back, as far as who did it better, well, that sort of thing often goes to which version imprints upon you first, right? Elvis first performed it on his Aloha from Hawaii concert in 1973, and he recorded it for the Elvis in Concert TV special in June of 1977. So here's the timeline here. He recorded it in June. Uh, the TV special aired in July. Elvis died in August. Okay, this is all summer of '77. And then just a couple of weeks after he died, they released this song as a single. And this is the version that you commonly hear. It was uh, like I went to number 22 on the uh, Hot 100. Regrets. I've had a few. But the Frank Sinatra version certainly came first, having been recorded in December of 1968 and released in 1969. And it's important to know that when Paul Anka wrote the song, well, he wrote it specifically for Sinatra. Sinatra's version went to number 27 on the Billboard Hot 100, and it spent a record 75 weeks on the Top 40 chart in the UK, which I believe is still the most time a record has spent on that chart. It also spent another 49 weeks in the top 75. But in all that time, it never got higher than number five in the UK. Now, listener Kim noted that the earlier release was somebody described as some old blue-eyed guy. But hey, if the story was that simple, would I have brought the whole thing up or would I have skipped over it? All right. Now, as I mentioned a minute ago, the song was written by Paul Anka. But the more accurate way of putting it is that Anka rewrote the song. You see, in 1967, Paul Anka was vacationing in the south of France when he heard this song on the radio. Je me lève et je te bouscule. Tu ne te réveilles pas comme d'habitude. This song is called Comme d'habitude, which is French for as usual. It's performed by a singer named Claude Francois, and rather than being a kind of me generation anthem, Comme d'habitude is actually a rather sad song about a relationship where everyone is just kind of going through the motions. I'm going to put a link on the website that has a translation of the lyrics on screen so you can see what I'm talking about. But Anka knew he had a great melody that he had heard, and so he flew to Paris to get the rights to the song. He got it for the cost of only $1, plus the original composers got to retain their original share of royalties with respect to anything Anka or his designee might have created. And uh, now the end is near, and so I fail. So after returning to New York, Anka sat down in the middle of the night He changed the lyrics and the attitude to be a little bit more uh, Sinatra-like And at 5 a.m. he called up Frank Sinatra at Caesars Palace And he said, I've got something really special for you Anka later said that his record company was kind of irritated That he didn't keep it for himself But Anka always saw it as a Sinatra song Although he did release his own version shortly after Sinatra's was already a hit The song replaced Strangers in the Night as Sinatra's signature tune, but the truth is he didn't really like either of them that much. Or, actually, it's more accurate to say that he didn't really want to be too deeply associated with a single song. Oh, and for what it's worth, Paul Anka did not think that My Way was really suited for Elvis Presley. In 2007, the Daily Telegraph of London asked him what he thought of the Sid Vicious version, and he said he'd been kind of destabilized by it. That was the word he used. But he also said it was kind of curious, but he thought that Sid Vicious was sincere about it. And finally about this song, My Way is so popular in karaoke bars in the Philippines that people have actually gotten into deadly arguments over performances. Literally, people have died. So many of the karaoke bars have had to take the song off the menu just out of self-preservation. How about that? Much more than this, I did it. Good Lovin' was first performed by the Grateful Dead in 1969, and it became one of their concert staples. Sometimes Pigpen McKernan would sing lead, and other times it would be Bob Weir. Finally, The Dead committed it to vinyl, adding it to their 1978 album Shakedown Street. And while it did get some airplay on the album rock stations in the U.S. and The Dead played it on a Saturday Night Live in November of that year, the song took a little bit of a beating in the press. Specifically, Rolling Stone magazine thought it was kind of aimless and that maybe Weir shouldn't have been the one to sing it. And I kind of agree in that respect, because a, a record like this needs just a little bit of vamping with the vocals and Weir was just too on the nose with everything. He got, he needed to feel a little bit more free. Eh, what are you going to do? Most people know it as a cover of the much higher energy version of the song by the Young Rascals. Now, before I start playing the Rascals' version, I want you to pay attention to the vocals because if you're listening in stereo, you might not have noticed before how the opening count-off ping-pongs between the speakers. First left, then right and just left of center. One, two, three. Now, in between The Rascals and The Dead, there were several versions, including The Who. Yeah, The Who. Tommy James and the Shondells and Mary Wells. But you've got to know by now that there was a version before The Rascals. Not only that, there were two, but one of them is just a little bit more important to this discussion. See, shortly before the Rascals version came out, there was a cover by Brian Poole in the Tremolos, but so far as I know, it didn't do a lot. But before that, in 1965, the song was recorded by a band called The Olympics, which was an R&B group that did have a few hits. And this one made it to number 81 on the Billboard Hot 100. So while the Olympics version wasn't a huge hit, it did get some airplay in the New York City area, and Rascals member Felix Cavalier heard the record, and they immediately added it to their concert repertoire using the same lyrics and practically the same arrangement as the Olympics. The band didn't really like this recording, but their producer, Tom Dowd, thought he had captured the live feel and talked the Rascals into letting it stand. That version was released in February of 1966, and made it to the top of the chart by the time spring rolled around. It was the Rascals' first honest-to-goodness hit. But we need to go to the well one more time, because the Olympics were not the first version either. Just one month earlier, it was recorded by an artist who appears on the label as Lemmy Be Good, but his real name was Lemmy Snell, and he released this version with slightly different lyrics. Snell eventually reverted to his real name and formed a group called Limmy and Family Cookin'. They had a couple of hits in the UK in the early 1970s before breaking up around 1975. He continued uh, writing and recording songs all the way up until his death in 1986. And while the bands that he formed after Family Cookin' broke up were kind of short-lived, several of its members went on to join other bands like New Music, Neo, and Ultravox. So... Snell spawned some musical heritage there. And now it's time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you about, so far as my research can tell, the only single by Linda Ronstadt that wasn't a song recorded first by a different artist, Well. As near as I can figure, it's this one, How Do I Make You, which was written by Billy Steinberg and released by Ronstadt in 1980. Steinberg wrote the song with some echoes of the next My Sharona in his head, and I think that influence is pretty clear. Now, I might be cheating a little bit here because Steinberg did record the song with his band as one of a bunch of demos. But ultimately, none of those demos were released until much later on. Steinberg says in an interview with SongFacts.com that the song came to Ronstadt's attention because his band's guitarist was dating one of her backup singers, and he, the guitar player, was the one who played the unreleased demo for Ronstadt. Also of note is that singing backup on this song was Nicolette Larson, who had struck gold a couple of years earlier with a lot of love, but unfortunately, she couldn't really parlay that into further pop success. Oh, bad shutting that off. I love that song. That's a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you are enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at How Good It Is. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at Facebook.com/slash How Good It Is Pod or You can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thanks, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show, and next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when we go rolling down the river along with Proud Mary. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time.